0: Section nineteen of The Naval Officer, or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. The Naval Officer, or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay, by Captain Frederick Marriott. Chapter fifteen, part. 2. My feelings, never very acute in this respect, were completely blunted by my course of life. Those fond recollections which, in a calm scene, would have wrung from me some tears to their memory, were now drowned or absorbed in the waste, the profligacy, and the dissipation of war, and shall I add that I easily reconcile myself to a loss which was likely so much to increase my worldly gain for my eldest brother i own that even from childhood i had felt jealousy and dislike fostered as i think in some measure unwisely and in part unavoidably by the conduct of my parents in all matters of choice or distinction tom was to have the preference because he was the oldest this i thought hard enough but when tom had new clothes at midsummer and christmas and his old ones were converted to my use i honestly own i wished the devil had tom as a point of economy perhaps this could not be avoided but it engendered a hatred towards my brother which often made me in my own little malignant mind find excuses for the conduct of cain tom was to be sure what is called a good boy he never soiled his clothes as i did i was always considered as a rantipole for whom anything was good enough but when i saw my brother tricked out in new clothes and his old duds covering me like a scarecrow I appeal to any honourable mind whether it was in human nature to feel otherwise than I did, without possessing an angelic disposition to which I never pretended, and I fairly own that I did shed not one fiftieth part so many tears over Tom's grave as I did over his dirty pantaloons when forced to put them on. As for my sisters, I knew little about them and cared less. We met during the holidays and separated without regret after a month's quarrelling when i went to sea i ceased to think about them concluding there was no love lost but when i found that death had for ever robbed me of two of them i felt the irretrievable loss i reproached myself with my coldness and neglect and the affection i had denied to them i heaped threefold on my remaining sister even before i had ever seen her on my return the tide of fraternal love flowed towards her with an uncontrollable violence all that i ought to have felt towards the others was concentrated in her and displayed itself with a force which surprised even myself perhaps the reader may be astonished that my first inquiry in london when i had seen my father and my family should not have been after poor eugenia whom i had left and who had also quitted me under such very peculiar and interesting circumstances i cannot however claim much credit for having performed this duty i did go without loss of time to her agent and all that my most urgent entreaty could obtain from him was that she was well that i still had credit at his house for any sum i chose to draw for in moderation but that her place of abode must till farther orders from her remain a secret as my father did not want interest and my claims were backed by good certificates i received my commission as a lieutenant in his majesty's navy about a fortnight after my arrival in london but not being appointed to any ship i resolved to enjoy the otium cum dig and endeavour to make myself some amends for the hard campaign i had so lately completed in north america i felt the transport of being a something at least i could live independent of my father let the worst come to the worst and i shall ever think this step gave me more real pleasure than either of the two subsequent ones which i have lived to attain no sooner therefore had i taken up my commission than my thoughts turned on my emily and two days after the attainment of my rank i mentioned to my father my intention of paying a visit to blank hall he was at the time in high good-humour we were sitting over our bottle of claret after an excellent tete-a-tete dinner during which i contributed very much to his amusement by the recital of some of my late adventures he shuddered at my danger in a hurricane and his good-humoured sides had well-nigh cracked with laughter when i recounted my pranks at quebec and prince edward's island when i spoke of miss somerville my father said he had no doubt she would be happy to see me that she was now grown a very beautiful girl and was the toast of the county i received this information with an apparent cool indifference which i was far from feeling inwardly for my heart beat at the intelligence perhaps said i picking my teeth and looking at my mouse in a little ivory etui perhaps she may be grown a fine girl she bade fair to be so when i saw her but fine girls are very plenty nowadays since the vaccine has turned out the smallpox besides the girls have now another chance of a good shape they are allowed to take the air instead of sitting all day with their feet in the stocks and their dear sweet noses bent over a french grammar under the rod of a french governess why i took so much pains to conceal from the best of parents the real state of my heart i know not except that from habit deceit was to me more readily at hand than candour certainly my attachment to this fair and virtuous creature could not cause me to blush except at my own unworthiness of so much excellence my father looked disappointed i know not why but i afterwards learned that the subject of our union had since my brother's death been discussed and agreed to between him and mr somerville and that our marriage was only to be deferred until i should have attained the rank of captain provided always that the parties were agreed i thought said my father that you were rather smitten that quarter me smitten sir said i with a look of astonishment. I have, it is true, a very high respect for Miss Somerville, but as for being in love with her, I trust no little attentions on my part have been so construed. I have paid her no more attention than I may have done to any pretty girl I meet with. This was indeed true, too true. Well, well, said my father. It is a mistake on my part. And here the conversation on that subject was dropped it appeared that after the little arrangement between mr somerville and my father and when i had gone to join my ship in america they had had some communication together in which mr somerville disclosed that having questioned his daughter she had ingenuously confessed that i was not indifferent to her she acknowledged with crimson blushes that i had requested and obtained a lock of her hair this mr somerville told my father in confidence he was not therefore at liberty to mention it to me but it sufficiently accounts for his astonishment at my seeming indifference for the two worthy parents had naturally concluded that it was a match confounded and bewildered by my asseveration my father knew not whose veracity to impeach but charitably concluding there was some mistake or that i was as heretofore a fickle thoughtless being considered himself bound in honour to communicate the substance of our conversation to mr somerville and the latter no sooner received it than he placed the letter in emily's hands a very comfortable kind of avant courrier for a lover after an absence from his mistress of full three years i arrived at the hall bursting with impatience to see the lovely girl whose hold on my heart and affection was infinitely stronger than i had ever supposed darting from the chaise i flew into the sitting-room where she usually passed her morning. i was now in my twenty-second year my figure was decidedly of a handsome cast my face what i knew most women admired my personal advantages were heightened by the utmost attention to dress the society of the fair acadians had very much polished my manners and i had no more of the professional roughness of the sea than what like the crust on the port wine gave an agreeable flavour my countenance was as opened and as ingenuous as my heart was deceitful and desperately wicked emily rose with much agitation and in an instant was clasped in my arms not that the movement was voluntary on her part it was wholly on mine she rather recoiled but for an instant seemed to have forgotten the fatal communication which her father had made to her not two hours before she allowed me perhaps she could not prevent it to press her to my heart she soon however regained her presence of mind and gently disengaging herself gave vent to her feelings in a violent flood of tears not at the time recollecting the conversation with my father much less suspecting that emily had been made acquainted with it i cannot but confess that this reception surprised me my caresses were repulsed as coming from one totally disqualified to take such freedom she even addressed me as mr mildmay instead of frank what may all this mean my dearest emily said i after so long an absence what can i have done to make so great an alteration in your sentiments is this the reward of affection and constancy have i so long worn this dear emblem of your affection next to my heart in battle and in tempest to be spurned from you like a cur on my return i felt that i had a clear right to boast of constancy nor were the flirtations of halifax and quebec at all incompatible with such a declaration the fair sex will start at this proposition, but it is nevertheless true. Emily was to me what the Dutchman's best anchor was to him. He kept it at home, for fear of losing it. He used other anchors in different ports that answered the purpose tolerably well, but this best bower he always intended to ride by in the New Deep, when he had escaped all the dangers and quicksands of foreign shores. Such was Emily to me. I thought of her when in the very jaws of the shark, I thought of her when I mounted the rigging in the hurricane, I thought of her when bored and tormented to madness by the old passing captains, all, all I might gain in renown was for her. Why, then, traitor-like, did I deny her? For no other reason that I can devise than that endless love of plot and deceit which had grown with my growths madame de style has pronounced love to be an episode in a man's life and so far it is true there are as many episodes in life as there are in novels and romances but in neither case do they destroy the general plot of the history although they may for the time distract or divert our attention here then is the distinction between passion and love i felt a passion for eugenia love for emily and why because although it was through my own persuasions and entreaties that her scruples had been overcome although it was through her affection for me which would not allow her to refuse me any demand even to the sacrifice of herself that eugenia had fallen still in the eyes of society she had fallen and i did not offer up a pure and holy love to that which was not accounted pure in this i gave way ungratefully to the heartless casuistry of the world but emily enshrined in modesty with every talent equal if not superior charms defended by rank and connection was a flower perpetually blooming on the stem of virtue that it would have amounted to sacrilege to attempt to have plucked and the attempt itself would have savoured of insanity from the utter hopelessness of success every sentiment connected with her was pure from mere selfishness not for worlds would i have injured her because in destroying her peace of mind my own would have fled forever. ever when i contemplated our final union i blushed for my own unworthiness and looked forward to the day when by repentance and amendment i might be deemed worthy to lead her to the altar i had not time to pursue these reflections any farther emily heard my appeal and rising from her seat in the most dignified manner addressed me in the commanding language of conscious virtue and injured innocence sir said she i trust i am too honest to deceive you or any one nor have i done that of which i need be ashamed whatever reasons i may have to repent of my misplaced confidence i will make no secret of that which now compels me to change my opinion of you you will find them amply detailed in this paper at the same time putting into my hand a letter from my father to mr somerville in a moment the mystery was unravelled and conviction flashed in my face like the priming of a musket guilty and convicted on the clearest evidence i had nothing left for it but to throw myself on her mercy but while i stood undecided and unknowing what to do mr somerville entered and welcomed me with kind but cool hospitality seeing emily in tears and my father's letter in her hand he knew that an éclaircissement had taken place or was in progress in this situation candour and an honest confession that i felt a mauvaise honte in disclosing my passion to my father would undoubtedly have been my safest course but my right trusty friend the devil stepped in to my assistance and suggested deceit or a continuation of that chain by which he had long since bound me and not one link of which he took care should ever be broken and fortunately for me this plan answered at the time better than candour i must acknowledge sir said i that appearances are against me i can only trust to your patient hearing while i state the real facts allow me first to say that my father's observations are hardly warranted by the conversation which took place and if you will please in the first place to consider that that very conversation originated in my expressing a wish and intention of coming down to see you and to produce to your daughter the memento so carefully guarded during my long absence you must perceive that there is an incongruity in my conduct difficult to explain but still through all these mazes and windings i trust that truth and constancy will be found at the bottom you may probably laugh at the idea but i really felt jealous of my father's praises so lavishly bestowed on miss somerville and not supposing he was aware of my attachment i began to fear he had pretensions of his own he is a widower, healthy, and not old, and it appeared to me that he only wanted my admiration to justify his choice of a stepmother for myself and sister. Thus, between love for Miss Somerville and respect for my father, I scarcely knew how to act that i should for one moment have felt jealous of my father i now acknowledge with shame yet labouring under the erroneous supposition of his attachment to an object which had been the only one of my adoration i could not make up my mind to a disclosure which i feared would have renewed our differences and produced the most insuperable bars to our future reconciliation this thought burned in my brain and urged the speed of the jaded post-horses if you will examine the drivers they will tell you that the whole way from town they have been stimulated by the rapping of a spanish dollar on the glass of the chaise i dreaded my father getting the start of me and busy fancy painted him to my heated imagination kneeling at the feet of my beloved emily condemn me not therefore too harshly only allow me the same lenient judgment which you exercised when i first had the pleasure of making your acquaintance this last sentence delicately recalled the scene at the inn and the circumstances of my first introduction the defence was not bad it wanted but one simple ingredient to have made it excellent i mean truth but the court being strongly biased in favour of the prisoner i was acquitted and at the same time admonished to be more careful in future the reconciliation produced a few more tears from my beloved emily who soon after slipped out of the room to recover her flurry when mr somerville and myself were left together he explained to me the harmless plot which had been laid for the union between his daughter and myself how true it is that the falling out of lovers is the renewal of love the fair white hand extended to me was kissed with the more rapture as i had feared the losing of it for ever none enjoy the pleasures of a secure port but he who has been tempest-tossed and in danger of shipwreck the dinner and the evening were among the happiest i can remember we sat but a short time over our wine as i preferred following my mistress to the little drawing-room where tea and coffee were prepared and where the musical instruments were kept emily sang and played to me and i sang and accompanied her and i thought all the clocks and watches in the house were at least three hours too fast when as it struck twelve the signal was made to retire I had no sooner laid my head on my pillow than I began to call myself to a severe account for my duplicity, for, somehow or other, I don't know how it is, conscience is a very difficult sort of gentleman to deal with. A tailor's bill you may avoid by crossing the channel, but the duns of conscience follow you to the antipodes, and will be satisfied. I ran over the events of the day. I reflected that I had been on the brink of losing my Emily by an act of needless and unjustifiable deceit and double-dealing. Sooner or later I was convinced that this part of my character would be made manifest, and that shame and punishment would overwhelm me in utter ruin. The success which had hitherto attended me was no set-off against the risk I ran of losing forever this lovely girl and the respect and esteem of her father for her sake therefore i made a vow for ever to abandon this infernal system i mentioned this more particularly as it was the first healthy symptom of amendment i had discovered and one to which i long and tenaciously adhered as far at least as my habits and pursuits in life would allow me i forgot at that time that to be ingenuous it was necessary to be virtuous there is no cause for concealment when we do not act wrong a letter from mr somerville to my father explained my conduct and my father in reply said i certainly must have been mad to this i assented quoting shakespeare the lunatic the lover and the poet etc so long as i was out of the scrape i cared little about the impeachment of my rationality the days at the hall flew just like the days of happy lovers confoundedly fast the more i saw of emily the firmer and faster did she rivet my chains i was her slave but what was best i became a convert to virtue because she was virtuous and to possess her i knew i must become as like her as my corrupt mind and unruly habits would permit i viewed my past life with shame and contrition when i attended this amiable lovely creature to church on a sunday and saw her in the posture of devotion before her maker i thought her an angel and i thought it heaven to be near her all my thoughts and sentiments seemed changed and refined by her example and her company the sparks of religion so long buried in the ashes of worldly corruption and infidelity began to revive i recalled my beloved mother and the bible to my recollection and could i have been permitted to have remained longer with my governess i have no doubt that i should have regained both purity of mind and manner i should have bidden adieu to vice and folly because they could not have dwelt under the same roof with emily and i should have loved the bible and religion because they were beloved by her but my untoward destiny led me a different way End of chapter 15, part 2